How about uh, if there's a dad sitting close by, how about just reaching around and giving him a pat on the back in appreciation? Yeah, for all the good they have been and done. and Yeah, uh, and changing lives one relationship at a time. Uh, I want you to keep that in mind when we get into our message because uh, it, this is going to be about trying to reach and uh, having to remember that. So, but uh, just uh, before we talk about that, I do want to mention uh, just a few things. Fourth uh, of July is two weeks from today. It's on a Sunday this year, so we knew we needed to do something a little special. And uh, two things we're going to do. One, you've already seen, we're going to be doing a picnic. And look, you got to eat somewhere, right? So why don't you come eat a hamburger, hot dog with us, and uh, a homemade ice cream too? You know, that's kind of a Fourth of July thing, right? And I uh, see see Lisa, uh, Lisa Farley. If you uh, have questions about any any of the details or just want to help with some of that, because we do need some help with that. But uh, we and everybody in the community is invited. But Please make sure to try and be there. Um, like I said, you got to eat somewhere that day anyway, so please uh, join us. And uh, we're going to do something else with our service. Now, this is not next week. It's 4th of July. One time, we're going to do a 10 o'clock service, not 9, not 11. We're going to do a 10 o'clock because we've got so many things to do. We've got a very special service that is being planned uh, for that, that Sunday as well. So make sure you know all those things. And also, this Wednesday night, something new that is starting for 20-somethings, Single and married um, all together, and we hope that God's going to do something big with this. Is seven fourteen. If you got any, if you've got questions, you can see uh, Jamie for more, more information. And today we wrap up our island series. I'm a little sad that we're going to have to lose the coconuts and the pineapples, and uh, I'm really sad. You know, I have never been able to wear flip flops because I can't keep them on my feet. You know, every time I take a step, they fall off. But these things are pretty cool, and I like them. And I re- I really wish I could keep wearing those, but. Um, um, my wife wouldn't let me wear them next Sunday since we're not doing the island thing, I'm sure. But this, this, uh, this has kind of been, been uh, fun and nice to do. And uh, two weeks ago, we, we uh, had some fun with some clips from the movie Castaway, Tom Hanks. And last week, we had some fun with, uh, in the sermon with some clips from Cool Runnings. And I uh, had so much stuff for that that we actually, I used some of it Wednesday night. And I'm coming back this Wednesday night and really want to encourage you, please, if at all possible, be here Wednesday night. We have, uh, uh, I got some things I want to share with you, some truths from uh, that, that movie. We shared some of that this past Wednesday. I want to share that, uh, the rest of that this Wednesday. If you can at all possible be here, there's some things that you really need to hear, some things I want to share with you about that. And today, don't have movie clips. We're going to do something different. I'm taking you to Acts chapter 27 and 28 and talking about the, uh, an event in the life of, of the Apostle Paul. But before we get to that, we're going to have a word of prayer. Before we get to that, I've got to... Give you a definition of something. Anybody know what the sermon title is today? Shaka Brada. Okay, so let's all practice. Everybody raise your hand, okay? Got all five fingers up? Come on, everybody raise your hand. Everybody, I'm not asking for donations. Just go ahead and raise your hand, all right? And I'll put those three middle fingers down, leaving up the pinky and the thumb. There, you've just made a shaka. So now you can just wave it a little bit and say Shaka Brada. And Shaka, this is the Shaka symbol. It comes from the surfers back in the 1960s. Some of you are old enough to remember that. And uh, it means hang loose, okay? Y'all know what hang loose means, don't you? I mean, that means just like chill out or, you know, just take Take it easy. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay. So just shaka. That's what the shaka is, that symbol. And uh, brada in Hawaiian means brother. And uh, when you put it together like this, it actually means my brother. So the shaka brada is hang loose, my brother. So when life gets to be too tough, you know, you just need to kind of just hang loose, my brother. How, how about giving somebody next to you a shaka brada and say, hey, come on, just hang loose, my brother. It's all going to be okay. All right. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Is that when, when, when you put it all in God's hands, you can just kind of shock a brother, you know, hang loose, my brother, it's going to be all right. No matter what happens, 
I know God's on the throne. Amen? And you know, no matter what happens to you today, tomorrow morning when you wake up, guess what? God's going to still be on the throne. And if this whole world blows apart in a nuclear explosion, guess what? Tomorrow morning, my God is still going to be on the throne. Amen? And so because I put everything in Him, no matter what happens, Chakabrata, it's going to be okay. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I love you and thank you, God, for a privilege, Lord, of sharing what I hope is going to be an encouraging word to families, God, and, and to dads. And I just pray, God, that you would just help us in this time. And God, also with the challenge, Lord, that's going to be issued. And I pray, God, you make us, uh, you make us up to the challenge, Lord, to accept, God, to receive what you are challenging us with, God, to step forward, to step up, God, uh, to quit, quit ourselves like men, as the Word of God says, those Philistines used to say. I just pray, God, you help us, Lord, in this, to receive this, God, and your will be accomplished. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Before we get to our scripture, couple of things I want to share this with you. I want, you, I want to get your mind focused in this way because this is Dad's Day, Father's Day, and uh, you know, happy Father's Day to all of you guys. Uh, but whenever I'm preaching a message like this, you know, when it's the whole congregation, it's hard for me to just preach to dads because I know there's a, there's a lot of other spiritual heads of house. And that's really what this message is, is geared toward, are the spiritual heads of the households here. And uh, there are some families that there's not a dad around. Uh, he's passed away. And so, you know, mom's had to step up. Or because of divorce, mom has had to step up. Or maybe there's not any kids in the family yet. So there's not a dad, but there's a husband. And so he's still in that place of leadership. And listen, that, that head thing that God talked about back in Genesis, not talking about the guy that guy gets to make the decision or the person that gets to make the decision, tell everybody what to do, be the boss, that kind of thing. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is this. What I want to preach to you today is about being the spiritual head. And if you're a, if you're a single adult and uh, you don't have, you know, you don't have a family yet around you, then you guess who's the spiritual head of your household right now? You are the spiritual head of your household. And if you're 13 years old today, and nobody else in your family is a Christian or nobody older than you is a Christian, guess who's the spiritual head of the house? Yeah, you, 13 years old. You are the spiritual head of the house. So when I preach today, if I, if, if I just say dad or I just say husband or whatever, I'm talking to really all the spiritual heads of the household. Now, I want all of you to listen because it's important because I do have something to share with you as well, but I want you to really understand, those of you who are spiritual heads of the house, for you to understand this that you need to take in mind and, and receive and act on because I'm, I hope this is going to be encouraging, but also hope it's going to be a challenge to you today, okay? Now, where we're at, we're going to go to Acts chapter 27 and I'll read a couple of verses of Scripture there and uh, before we get into a point. But here's an introduction. is Paul has been arrested. He's uh, uh, in court, basically, and because he's got a dual citizenship of being a Hebrew and also being a Roman, he has the opportunity to appeal to Caesar. So he appeals to Caesar, which means now they've got to ship him to Rome so he can appear before Caesar and he can plead his case. So now he is a prisoner, he's on a boat, and he's headed to Rome. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 27, verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Okay, now here's Paul, and he's giving them advice on sailing. Paul's not a sailor. Does anybody know what Paul's secular job was? Tent maker. Paul was a tent maker. Word of God tells us we find that out in some of those obscure little passages. There we don't... Really, we don't 
pay attention to that a lot. But he's not a sailor, so what in the world is he doing giving advice to the sailors? You know, he's, he's telling them what they should and shouldn't do. But, you know, that's part of the makeup of being a male in a way. You know, it's like, you know, there's a lot of things out there maybe we weren't schooled in or trained in or taught. But when we don't know the answer, we just make something up, don't we? No, that's not what I really mean to say. I mean, when we don't know the answer, what do we do, guys? We tear it apart and figure it out, right? I mean, you know, if, if you got, you're working on something and it just, it just won't work, I mean, what do you do? You dig into it, you know? If you can't find the manual, the instructions, that doesn't matter. We didn't read them the first time when we opened the box anyway, did we? So we just tear into it, see if we can figure something out. And it's just kind of our makeup to kind of just pay attention to what's going on around us. And we do that in such a way that a lot of times our little Little boys, little girls, you know, following along behind us, they kind of look at us as heroes and they think, man, you know, dad, he knows everything. You know, he, he knows, he knows all these kinds of things. You know, my, my dad knows more than your dad and they get this kind of a hero attitude about them. I remember, uh, this was, man, I, I don't know how many years ago, but our kids were still small and, and, uh, we were driving in a city in another part of the state we'd never lived in before. I'd probably, uh, we, we just went to another city just to get a couple of days away, found a place that had an indoor pool so the kids could swim and so we could just relax. We were pastoring and we just needed a break, you know, and so we got away. We we're in another city and I think the only night I'd ever spent in the city was the, the night I spent that night before. And so we were driving down the road of this city and, uh, there was a funeral procession ca- that came by. It met us and started coming by, you know, and, and this was in an area where, you know, people don't do this a lot anymore, but this was in an area where everybody kind of pulled over, so I slowed down and pulled over to the side just a little bit. We were still kind of moving along, and my son, Brent, who's now 27 years old, and he's now married, you know, he's his own spiritual head of the house now, but he's sitting in the back back seat, and he asked me, this is not one of those just, just rhetorical questions, he asks me this question as this funeral procession is passing, he said, Dad, who died? <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking, wow, he does really think. I know everything, you know. But you know what happened when he got up to be about 13 or 14 years old? All of a sudden, he decided, I didn't know everything. Does anybody can relate to that? Your kids have gotten that old, and you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, you know, the bubble is burst, and they realize Dad's not as smart as he used to make us think he really was, you know. All these things. He was just making up a lot of stuff, wasn't he? He didn't really know all these things. And so, you know, here's the thing, Dad, and spiritual heads of the house, or, you know, let me even talk about big brothers and big sisters as well, and even aunts and uncles and, and, and grandparents. Let me t- talk to you about this as well. There's coming a day when those little ones are going to grow up and get big enough that they're going to realize you don't know everything that they thought you knew. But here's the thing is we got to make sure. We've got to make sure the only things they learned that we might have had the wool pull over their eyes on were things like, you know, maybe not knowing who the guy was in the hearse that was just passing us in the funeral. We got to make sure because what we don't want to make sure, we want to make sure that, that they don't come to a place to realize that the stuff we said spiritually, we also weren't living. That all this stuff spiritually that we said about our lives and about our God and about our relationships with Him, that that was a bubble that was burst as well. If they, when they grow up and turn 13 or 14 and realize we don't know everything, let it not be that they learn that you and I did not know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and that we were just pulling a wool, the wool over their eyes as well. I mean, when they learn, and we got some, maybe some little ones, so I won't say, but when they learn some of those things we tell them around December, you know, and we tell them and they learn that that's not, make sure that they don't also learn that there's some other stuff that spiritually speaking we pull over there. That's the thing. 
is we've got to pay attention and make sure because there are a bunch of other little ones following along right behind us. And no matter how much that little boy says, I'll never be like my dad, you know what happens, don't you? You did it. You grew up to be so much like, I meant the worst thing your wife can say to you is, is you are so much like your dad, right? But it happened, didn't it? You grew up to be like him. And you know what? They're going to follow in more of those footsteps than you want them to. So we've got to make sure the things we do, we mean. The things we say, we mean. So that when they grow up, they're not blown away by that as well. So I want to care. So thinking about that, I want to tell you the first thing is we've got to be very careful about the decisions that we make. Because the decisions that we make impact not only us, but it impacts everybody around us, especially those little ones that are following us. So let's look at some verses of scripture there following this up. Verse 11. Nevertheless, now Paul just said, look guys. The weather's too bad for us to be sailing, but the centurion, who was like the prison guard, who had Paul, he had some other prisoners on the, on the ship with him, he was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the thing spoken by Paul. Okay, so the centurion, who's really in charge of this whole voyage, basically he's making the decision because he's, he's the prison guard, and so he decides if they're going to go ahead or if they're going to stay. But the centurion, he decides... I'm going to listen to these guys instead of the listen to this guy. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if you don't know the end of the story, I'll tell you, they get shipwrecked, okay? The ship basically breaks completely apart, and they end up being shipwrecked. And they get shipwrecked because the centurion believes these two guys instead of believing Paul. Now, I know you could say, yeah, but those two guys were sailors, and Paul was just a man of God. All right? Yeah, Paul was just a man of God. But I hope that our families get to the place where they understand that the man of God knows who to listen to. So here's the first thing you need to think about is who are you listening to? Oh, well, I don't have time to listen to God. You know, preacher, you got to do all, you, all the listening to God for me because, you know, and bring it to me on Sunday and give me and stuff. Because I don't have time to, to read scripture, but I got time to listen to my CDs driving down the road. And I got time to, you know, I listen to everything, all my MP3s that I've downloaded and my, my podcasts. I've got time to listen to those things. I've got time to tweet everybody in the world that I know that, hey, I just had a good meal at some little rinky dink hole in the wall place or whatever, you know. I got time to do all that, but I don't have, come on, Let's be honest with ourselves. We have time to do everything we want to do. We've got to, we've got to start paying attention to who it is that we're listening to because most of us know a whole lot more about where our friend because of tweets and, and uh, Facebooks and uh, e emails and everything. We know more about where our friends ate dinner last night than we know about what God wants to do in our life tomorrow. Amen or oh me. We need to slow down, think a minute, and pay attention to who we're listening to. Verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Do I want verse 13? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Verse 12. I'm sorry. I, I led him a little too far. So stop right here. Let's think about this just a minute. Here's what's going on. Is they stopped right here for a moment, but they looked around, and this place that they had stopped, it didn't have any restaurants. There wasn't a McDonald's, you know. There wasn't a Ruby Tuesdays. It didn't have a bowling alley. It didn't have a movie theater. It didn't have anything to do. It didn't have a tavern for them to go get a drink. So you know what they decided is we're going to launch out one more time, and we're going to go here. They didn't listen to Paul, but they listened to these other guys because really... What it was, it wasn't about which was the best advice. What it was all about was their pleasure. And they put everybody at risk because of their pleasure. 
They risked everyone's safety. And we're not talking about a skin knee. We're not talking about somebody getting a headache. We're talking about everyone's life. We're talking about people dying. We're talking about people drowning. They risked everyone's safety because of their pleasure. Now, I, I could stop at any point in this sermon and preach about two hours. Let me tell you, there's a whole lot of stuff here to preach. I don't have a half hour, you know, that I can preach all this stuff to you today. But I'm, I can tell you this, and I'm going to wrap it up as quickly as God will let me wrap this up in one little tight statement. I can tell you this, and I hadn't said this in a while, and I need to say this. This country right here, this, this society, this, this particular time, this generation that you and I are growing up in, we are celebrating the sexuality of our own children. I mean, we parade it, we bring it. You don't, you don't believe me? I mean, you, uh, don't say amen or oh me or we'll all get worried about each other here and we don't want to do too much confessing here on Sunday morning in front of all of our friends and family. But when we enjoy the, the movies that are being put out today and we are enjoying the sexuality of our children, and I'm not telling you, know, maybe they aren't my children and your children, but they are our generation's children. We are celebrating their sexuality. You know what we're doing? We're doing the same thing they did. We are risking the safety, risking the future because we'd rather have our pleasure than have their safety. And it's time we some people stood up and said, wait a minute, it's time for this to stop. It's time for us to start protecting again and saying, my pleasure is not more important than the safety of those who are following along after me. Amen? Okay, since you said amen, I'll go on. All of you didn't say amen, though. Verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Um, Oh, yeah, but not long after, tempestuous headwind arose called Eurachlodon. Okay, so here's the deal now. They get a little south wind. Okay, we're wanting to go. Well, the south wind was the, was the calm one. So they, okay, here's our break. We can take off. So they took off. But you know what happened? All of a sudden, a nor'easter blows in. Uh, Eurachlodon is what it was called in that part of the world. It, it, it blew in, and this was, this was like a, a tropical storm that blows in. Just as soon as they get out there, now, now what should they have done? I mean, they get the little south wind. They say, oh, here's our break, and they take off. You know what we do so often? And, 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 I hear, and you know, I hear people do this, and I hear people say, well, God opened the door for me, so I'm supposed to do it. If God opened the door, you know, he, he made it available to me. You know, so, I, you know, I think, well, you know what? God, God created marijuana, so if God created marijuana, he must want us to smoke it. You know, I mean, you know, God created all these drugs and he must want us to take them. You know, hey, God, God created alcohol and he must want us to get drunk. You know, God created gravity. So he must want us to all climb top of the Empire State Building to step off because he created gravity. Let's try that one, too. Right. No. I mean, we're supposed to use our heads as well. We don't just say, here's an open door. Let's run through it. We got to stop and say, wait, because, you know, when we're babes, you know what, you know what you do when you've got a baby in your house? You know what you do? You put up all the gates. I mean, you put up all those little lock things on your, on your doors and, you know, you know, the drawers, especially the ones that's got the dangerous stuff in them. You put those little plastic things in the, in, in the, uh, electrical outlets. Why? Because, you know, they don't know any better, right? But when they start growing up, you know, it's time for them to start paying attention as well. When they get big enough to read up into a cabinet, you know, and pull something down on top of their heads, you know, that, that'll hurt them. Hopefully they'll be wise enough that you can say, now listen, pay attention before you pull something down off the top of your head. In the same way, you know, when you were a babe in Christ, God protected you from making a whole lot of stupid mistakes. But you're supposed to be growing up and you're supposed to be looking around. You're supposed to be paying attention. And when, when doors open of opportunity, you're supposed to realize that, hey, sometimes the devil can open a door of opportunity for you. Because in this, in this community, 
uh, society and in this time and age that we're growing up in, people, uh, they've twisted and they've turned around. They've reversed what the Word of God says about being married because the Word of God says we should love who we're married to. It says, husbands, love your wives. But, the, but society today thinks we're supposed to marry who we love. The problem with that is we sometimes think that we fall out of love. And so then when we fall in love with somebody else, it's time to change horses. It's time to hook up with somebody else. And that's why you've got all these people in, in Hollywood that have multiple, multiple, multiple over and over and over because every time they fall out of love and fall in But the Word of God says you don't fall out of love. But what you do is you love the person that you're already married to. And when that door of opportunity opens, you don't say, well, God wouldn't have that person flirting with me. Oh, my goodness. I didn't meddle this much in the 9 a.m. service. God wouldn't have that person flirting with me if he didn't want me to drop my wife and pick her up. That's not God when those kinds of opportunities open. All we've got to do is look in here and say, wait a minute, that's poison. That's something that's going to fall on your head that is going to hurt you. And you're supposed to be old enough to say no to that thing that is happening in your life. So stop a moment and think and look at the open door and decide, did God open this door or did the devil open this door because he knows there's a storm right outside this door as well? Go on, verse 15. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. If you continue to follow the ways of the world in making your decisions, three things happened here. They were caught in the wind. They could not make any headway into the wind. And they were driven by the wind. That's what, that's what the original text says. They were driven by the wind. They were driven by it. If you continue to make decisions based on the ways of the world, you're eventually going to be caught by the ways of the world. And you will never, ever again make any headway in where God wants you to be as a man of God and as a woman of God. And you will be constantly driven by the ways of this world. And it happens not just to sinners, but to people who sit on church benches every single Sunday. So make sure the decisions you make are godly decisions. The second point then is when you talk about preparing the boat. Now, they got into a boat that had been prepared for this voyage, but they weren't planning on a Euripolidon. They weren't planning on that. They were planning on a smooth sailing all the way to Rome. They were planning on finding a good harbor and settling down. But when the storms came, you know what they did? They had to re-prepare the boat. There were some other things that needed to be done. And you need to be preparing a boat. Look at what they did. Running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. I think I do want verse 17 here. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. So they went under the shelter of another island. And the wind was kind of blocked somewhat. And the waves were blocked somewhat. because. Of, so they went under the shelter of this island. This northeaster coming. They were able to get a little bit, of a, little bit of, of a break. And so while they took this break, while they had this break, they took advantage of it. And so they took the skiff, which was the lifeboat, and they secured it. Want to make sure they didn't lose the lifeboat. You know what? You need to make sure you secure the lifeboat. Dads, spiritual heads of household, I'm talking to you right now. Okay, you need to make sure about the lifeboat. We run through life. We run through life so quick. We don't have time to read the Bible. We don't have time to talk to God. We definitely, if we don't have time to talk to God, we definitely don't have time to hear from God. We don't have time to do the things that are necessary. We're barely making a living. We're barely, you know, staying in touch, barely keeping our clothes clean and all that kind of stuff. We don't have time to, to 
make sure the lifeboat is secure, but you better stop and take some time to make sure the lifeboat is secure. Because there, there's coming some storms in your family's life, and they're going to need the lifeboat. They're going to need the safety. They're going to need the security. They're going to need to know that they've got something real, tangible, that they can hang on to. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You need to make sure you have secured Jesus Christ into your home. You need to make sure that He is tied into your home just as tight as you. That's what they were doing. They were tying in that lifeboat to make sure they had it. You need to make sure you're doing that as well. Verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day, they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle, tackle overboard with our own hands. It's time, guys. It's time, ladies, to lighten the ship. There's a whole lot of stuff that we let get on our ship, and it's time to get some of it off of it. You know what? All this stuff that they threw over, it was good stuff. It wasn't any sin in it. It wasn't contraband. It wasn't evil stuff. It wasn't stuff that was destroying them. But because it was too much stuff, mm-hmm, they had to get rid of some of it. Because there were there was something on the ship that was more... Imp- oh, goodness. There was something on the ship that was more important than the stuff. And even though the stuff is good stuff, the stuff is okay stuff, the stuff's not going to hurt anybody. If you hang on to the stuff, you're risking destroying the ship. Which holds, which holds your family. you got to lighten the ship. you got to get rid of some stuff. Come on, and I'm really speaking to guys here. Us, us adult men, husbands and, and dads. I'm speaking to you. I want you to know you got to get rid of some stuff. There's too much stuff around there and you got to get rid of it because it's getting in the way of you being a good dad. It's getting in the way of you being a good husband. It's getting in the way of you being a good friend. I mean, we don't, we don't, we barely have time for our kids and, and our, and our spouses anymore. We don't, we definitely don't have time to just hang out as buddies. You know, we got some buddies that are really hurting. I mean, right here in this church, we got some men, some young, men younger than you that are really hurting and need just a little bit of your time, but you don't have it. We got to lighten our boats. We got to get rid of some stuff so we've got some time and we've got some, we've got some margin in our lives and we've got some strength again and we've got some wisdom and we've got some understanding and we've got some peace. We got to get rid of some stuff so that we can make sure everybody gets home safe. Verse 20. I think. Now when neither sun nor stars, we're going to read several verses here and I'll wrap this up. Now when neither sun nor stars appear for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. Paul's now talking to the men. He says, For I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. I, 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 got, I got a good long sermon right here. Three points, but I, I, there's no way I got time to preach it to you. Let me give you three good points right here because every spiritual head of the house needs to understand these three things. Your family needs these three things. The people that are on the boat with you that are trusting in you to build and prepare a good boat, they need these three things. Paul, first of all, was a man who could hear from God. I mean, he even had an angel standing by his side telling him the words of God. I got a message for you, Paul. I got to tell you something that God sent me to tell you. This is the kind of dad that we need. This, this is the kind of spiritual, you know, single moms that we need. I mean, these are the kind of single adults that we need in our church and in our communities today. And you know what? We don't just need them. 
But this is the kind of dad that little boys and little girls deserve to have in their life. The kind of dad, the one that can hear from God, can get a message from God, and know what God is saying, that, that knows how to hear this as much as they know how to hear all the rest of the stuff. But also, secondly, he was a man that had a promise. God gave him a promise. Did you see it? Everyone on the boat is going to be safe. Can I tell you something? Let me digress here just a moment away from, away from the spiritual head. If you're not the spiritual head, let me tell you this about your boat. If your boat's headed in the right direction, stay on it. Because there's safety in a boat that's headed in the right direction. If it's headed in God's direction, if you've got a dad that is doing everything he can to try and keep the family together and keep it going, then stay on the boat. If you've got a single mom and, and she's doing everything she can to, to pray for you and hold, then stay on the, even when you get married and get your own boat one day, I, Hook a line to the one that's still going in the right direction and let it keep steering you some. Stay on the boat because Paul, and this is the kind of dads we need. This is the kind of single moms we need. We need, we need those who can have a promise from God and, and you get the promise of God when you also have covenant with him. And we're going to talk about covenant in just a few moments when we close, okay? But he had covenant with him. And then the third thing, this is the third thing right here, is he was a man of faith. Now, here he says to this last verse, we're going to run aground on a certain island. Okay, let me tell you, there's some bad news coming. But right before, you know what he said in the verse before? He said, before he told them we got some bad news, he gave them the good news. He said, I believe God, it will be just as it was told me. Paul already knew this, this bad word in, uh, in verse 26. He already knew this, this bad thing that was going to happen when he spoke verse 25. You know, it wasn't a, a new revelation. He heard it last night from the angel and he said the bad, he was, he knew the bad news when he said the good news, but the bad news did not defer him from stating the good news. And the good news is, no matter what happens tomorrow, even if we end up shipwrecked on another island, I believe God, it will be just as it was told me. If I have to get a third job, family, for us to make it, it's going to be alright. Because I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. We need some men, we need some single moms, we need some, we need some single adults who will step up and say, no matter what, I believe God, it will be just as it was told me because I've got a promise because I have heard from God. Somebody say amen. Amen. We got to close. We got, we, we got to wrap this thing up because I didn't realize how long we got a couple things to do. Okay? So we got to wrap this up. But let me ask you this question. Dad, spiritual head of the house, are you building a boat that your family can trust in? That they can put their confidence in? It's headed in the right direction. Ooh. Now, do we need to stop here and think for a minute? Do we all need to write ourselves a note? We need to think about this later today. Are we building a boat? Are we preparing a boat that our family can have confidence in when the storms come? Acts 28. Shipwreck happens. Okay, don't have time to read all the verses. Shipwreck happens the, 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 the whole boat breaks apart. And everybody that can swim jumps in and swims to shore. Everybody that can't swim, they jump in, they grab a hold of part of the ship, and they float to shore. And not one of them dies because of promise, because of covenant that God made. Now, when they'd escaped, when they escaped the sea, they then found out that the island was called Malta. 
And the natives showed us unusual kindness for they, they lit a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper, you know what a viper is, don't you? That's a poisonous snake, okay? They knew. They didn't say a snake, said a viper. Everybody knew it's a poisonous snake. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. He reached down to get sticks, and a viper comes out of the heat and fastens on his hand. What do you do? What? <laughs> Somebody said something. I just wanted to hear what you do. I mean, I, I scream like a little girl probably, I guess, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I said something in the 9 o'clock service about my wife. I mean, you know, she... She doesn't even like to hear the S word. You know, don't even think about it. Don't even talk about that stuff. I mean, we're, we're sitting, my wife, she can worry about the weirdest things. I mean, we're sitting in the backyard the other day in, in Brooklyn. Our little 20-month-old granddaughter, you know, is in her big swimming pool. Not this big around, you know. But, you know, she's in her swimming pool. And, and, and David said, where do you all think the snakes are around here? <laughs> I'm saying, well, you know, do you worry about everything? You know, so, and she, does he, you know, snakes, she doesn't even want to hear the S word. So when it latches onto your head, what do you, I mean, yeah, you scream. You, you know, you say, hey, somebody get this off of me or whatever, you know, then, and look what they did. Verse 4 says, so when the natives saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice is not allowed to live. What they're really saying was, the gods know this man is guilty, and even though he, he escaped this storm, they're going to kill him right here by letting this snake bite him and, and poison him. Verse 5, but Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Paul created the first shaka when he just said don't worry about it take it easy just chill out I'm confident it's okay he just get off me you know, you know like you would a, a fly or a gnat get off me that's all he did didn't scream like a little girl didn't say I don't want to I, I, I don't know what we're going to do What's gonna, somebody going to help me how, how are we going to do that it, no just just shook it off in the fire, just like a, a shocker. He said, don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. How in the world, how can you do that? I mean, how many of you could get bit this afternoon and say, well, get off me. Get bit by a snake. You say, get off me like you do a mosquito. But Paul just said, don't worry about it. You know why? Maybe it's because he knew the words of Christ that said, they'll take up snakes and they will not harm them. Or maybe it was because, as he says, after he gets to Rome and he writes another epistle, he is talking about, he's talking about all the stuff, and he mentions his shipwreck, that even in the shipwreck, God took care of me. Even in the stonings, God took care of me. Even in the beatings, God took care of me. It's because he had been through all this. And he, but maybe the thing most on his mind was what happened just the other night when he was wake, awake, awakened in the middle of the night and an angel stood beside him and said, Hey, look. God says, you're going to stand before Caesar. And so when that snake attached to him, he said, well, I hadn't seen Caesar yet, so God said, i got to see him, so you can't hurt me today. What, a, what an amazing faith. But you know how that all happened? It happened because of the stuff that he had, happened, that he had done to prepare for that. There is a snake in the fire episode coming to every family. In this church. Question is. Are our spiritual heads of house. Doing anything to get ready. For the snake in the fire. Event. So instead of running around. Screaming our heads off. 
what in the world are we going to do? What in the world are we going to do? We can just say, God's got us ready for this. Shaka, brother. Be at peace, my brother. It's all okay. Are you preparing your family spiritually strong for that snake in the fire event that's coming? Because it's coming. If not, it's time for you to start. And we're going to take two steps right now at the end of this service. You don't, you don't have to come be involved in this. We're going to do communion as the last thing. And I invite you, please, if you can, hang around to the very close and do communion with us. But before we do that, I want to give you a, a tool to fight the devil. And, and, if, you, and if you're not at this point, if you, you're not doing this, we're going to take the first two steps today to being the spiritual head of your family. And that's, you know, that's dads or husbands or single parents or single adults or 13-year-olds that have nobody else in their home that's a Christian. And if, you, if you're ready to step up and say, I, I, I want to be. I want to prepare my family for the snake in the fire episodes so we can just look around in confidence and say, it's going to be all right. My brother's going to be all right. And so I want to invite every spiritual head of the house to come stand here with me. Would you come stand here with me? You will? Listen. And if your spiritual head of the house is not here today, but you want to come stand in their place because they're not here, you come on with me. Come on. Every dad, every husband, every single parent, every single adult, every 13-year-old that's not, I want to invite you to come. Every 13-year-old that doesn't have another Christian in the family, I want you to come. Everybody, everybody that will, please. If you can't come and stay, stand and come and sit on the front pew with me. Jesus, Jesus. I, I got I got here's the thing I want to give you. I want to give you a little bottle of oil. My dad told me when, he, when I was giving him his, he said, I've already got one. I'll give you this one back later. You can have this one too, okay? Can't have too much anointing. There is no power in this oil. Not a bit. It's all symbolic but it's symbolic of a covenant with God. Go all the way back to the Old Testament. And he told them, anoint them with oil. Or mark, this is what he's saying is mark them with oil because they have been marked to be something powerful. They've been marked to be a priest, marked to be a, a, a king, marked in some way to be set apart for me. They've been marked in some way. It's part of a covenant. God said, anoint them or, or mark them with this oil. Now, what they used to do is they took a whole bunch of it and poured it over the head of the person. Or they would take a whole bunch of it over the, the piece of furniture in the temple and they would pour a lot of it on there. But it's, it's just symbolic. You can just take a little dab. Well, how, how do I do that? I, I, I wish I had another hour I'd preach you a sermon on, on this covenant. Through the anointing. It, it, it's just a symbol. But it's a symbol of the covenant. Just like water baptism is. You know, it's just a symbol. But it's part of the covenant. If you've got a child that's having bad dreams at night and can't sleep, you don't have to do it in the middle of the night. You do it anytime you want to. Just put a little bit on your finger, go in there, touch that bed, and pray. Say, God, I'll make covenant with you right here. Drive those bad dreams away, help my child sleep. You got someone sick in your family? Go anoint their bed. Or, or, or uh, if they're in a wheelchair, anoint their wheelchair. 
Got, got, got some need in your family? Got a financial need in your family? Get your checkbook out. I'm talking about writing a check. Anoint it. God, I'll make a covenant with you right here. I want you to, I want you to do something in my finances, Lord. You got, uh, got a teenager in your family that's got some bad influence? You worried about some of the people they're hanging out with? Tell them, bring the cell phone. Don't take it away from them. Not so, that's up to you if you want to take it away from them. But what I'm saying is, bring the cell phone. Anoint that cell phone. And with them right there, pray. And pray, God, I'm making a covenant with you right here. Stop any bad communication from coming across, not just these airways, but anything coming to my kids' ears and into their heart that is going to make them not follow you. Not just talking about bad words. I'm talking deeper than bad words. I'm talking about the communication that comes out of the pits of hell that makes them want to turn around and go in a different direction. I don't, I, I don't care about your list of what's... I'm not talking about cussing, okay? I don't care about your list of cuss words right now. I'm talking about something really serious. I'm talking about people that are, are trying to twist your kids and get them to go in a different direction. Man, you anoint that cell phone. Or find, just find some connection point and anoint that and say, God, I'm make covenant with you about this thing. Whatever the thing is in your life, and every time there's a problem in your life, the devil keeps slipping into your house, get on the front porch. Like Moses told him to do the night of the Passover and they took the blood and they applied it to the doorpost and they rebuked the death angel from entering in. Get out on your front porch. Put some oil on that doorpost and say, I refuse to allow the devil anymore into this house. Because you've got authority because of the anointing. You don't have to do this. But I invite you to. And This is symbolic of the authority and the anointing God has given you. And by coming and taking one of these, you know what you're doing? You were saying, I want my anointing. I want it from my house. I want it from my kids. I want it from my friends. I want it from my little grandkids. I want it from my little brothers and little sisters. I want the anointing. So I invite you, every one of you, would you come and take some oil and say, I want my anointing. Now come on. Just come on around and, and just stay right here with me. I want to have a word of prayer.